Do I still belong in the trophy community if I'm not training for a hundred miler? Like, yeah, fuck off. Like, yeah, you do. Just go and run with your friends. Hello, and welcome back to the next episode of the Trail Running Women podcast where we interview women about their running journeys and life stories and also sometimes men and sometimes just people about random things. Um, So I guess it's like a conversation podcast where most of us like to go for jogs occasionally. Um, That's a really great intro, isn't it? I'm just excited. This is May 6th. This comes out. So it is summertime almost. It's pretty warm. It's sunny at like 6am. Bring on the chafing. Bring on weird tan lines. I'm ready to sweat uncontrollably and like shove my face in creeks and swallow dust and just need more water. Um, I know some of you guys have races going on and I'm very jealous of that. We still have nothing here, but fingers crossed late summer we get some things going. I think probably just permit issues. So yeah, running with friends, running for PBs, running for FKDs, KTs, all of the fun things. Um, so today's guest is Julie Bertrand and she is someone that I met in a group run where I actually met quite a few of my running friends back when group runs were a thing that was allowed to happen. And we connected right away, um, and had some really great conversations. Well, and we still do. Julie is someone who she's a vice principal at a school and you can kind of get that vibe. Like she's just very with it together. Not that most of my guests aren't, but I guess has a very good awareness of herself and the people around her, which I always find are some of the most interesting people because they're able to kind of dissect life in like a really positive kind of unique way. Um, And if that doesn't make any sense to you, I think you'll understand more what I'm talking about after the interview, because she gets a lot into how the pandemic has really helped evolve her lifelong running journey and how running has been a part of her life as a young age, but it's kind of evolved with her and her relationship with running and it's kind of ebbed and flowed, I guess. Um, She has been running long distance for over 20 years. She did run track in high school. She ran cross, whoops, sorry. She uses cross training um, as a figure skater. So we talk a lot about body image and the effect of that. Um, And then she qualified for Boston. She qualified for New York. She's run Squamish 50-50, which is a local race where you run the 50 miles on the Saturday and 50K on the Sunday. And it is totally grueling technical terrain with a shit ton of climbing um, and Wham 110 in 2019. So that was probably one of her last races. And then we had planned on running Cascade 100 mile together uh, before the world blew up. So she is currently living in Vancouver. That's not as important, but uh, we talk about some local races here because we are both from here. So that is that. Anyways, I think you guys are going to love hearing from Julie and her outlook on running and how she has gotten to a place now where it adds to her life instead of, well, I don't, maybe I shouldn't say instead of, but I think some of us find it as something, it gets to the point where we feel like we have to do it, whether that be for how we identify ourselves or for body image, um, but coming to a place where it really is just this like awesome addition to our lives, which I think is the end goal for a lot of us. So loads of wisdom here. If you want to reach out, and most of you do on Instagram, and I love hearing from you guys, I am at hillsport55. If you have a question for Tori and I for trail tips, send me those too. Um, We just put up a bonus episode in the Patreon. So Andy and I redid the relationships podcast from a male perspective, and it was interesting. Um, So that's up there. That will eventually be available for the public, but it is just a sneak peek pre-sale type deal on Patreon. We do some strength workouts there. For May, we decided to do a meditation challenge. So um, I'm not gonna lie, I'm not super, super active. It is a lot of extra work, but it's just a fun place to support the ladies and the show that we already have going on. So if you wanna support and keep hearing from these badass ladies, you can find the Patreon link in my Instagram as well. Um, And I'll leave it at that because I blabbed for a bit and I don't know if you can tell, but sometimes when I'm talking, If I've just worked out recently or something I like, can't catch my breath. So that's a really good thing for a podcaster to have. Anyways, that's that. Enjoy the sunshine. Hopefully you guys are wearing your new gooders. Oh, one more last thing that should be noted. Julie is actually the person on the cover of our artwork in the red shirt. So it's about time she made the show. Okay, bye. Okay, I'm here today with my friend Julie, who I have been running with for almost four years now, I think. 
And when Julie and I run together, we have some amazing conversations and she has a very wise outlook on life and running in general. So um, she approached me and said, would you have an interest in chatting on the podcast? And I was really excited because as I said, when we jog, we have these conversations that I think other people can benefit from. And I know you have really kind of come to see running in a new light through the pandemic. And I'm excited to get into all the advice you have to give to our listeners today. So welcome to the show, Julie. Thank you. Thank you. I mean, I, I'm not sure that I'll have very much advice, but I'm happy to share <laughs> my perspective. <laughs> fair, fair. It's a lot of pressure. Sorry, straight out of the gate. I didn't tell her I was going to say that. <laughs> so let's um, let's start with just kind of your life story to, so everybody gets an idea of who you are. Uh, I usually like to start yeah. with like whether or not you ran as a kid, if you played sports, where you're from, and just general Julie life. Yeah. Um Yes. I mean, I think that running has been um, a pretty clear, um, consistent part of my life kind of growing up. So it's an interest. It's, it's a, I was thinking about what we were going to talk about. And um, it's almost like this story of running is part of like the story of my life. I could tell the story of my life through the story of running, I guess, which is kind of interesting. Um, I grew up in Fredericton, New Brunswick. So um, in the Atlantic provinces. So I, I actually figure skated as a kid and um, I figure skated from the age of like five, four or five until I was in my late teens, um, just before I finished high school. And um, in that time, um, I would run as cross training just to keep my fitness and my cardio up. And I loved it. Um, and I knew that every other figure skater just absolutely hated it. Um, and I can remember. Uh, choosing running over other things. So like we had coaches and trainers and they would say, well, uh, you have to do this and like stairs or aerobics or something else, or you can run. And I would always be the only one who would choose running because uh, I loved it. From there, um, I then ran track in high school as well. I ran long distance, uh, the 1500 and the 3000 meter run. Um, and again, it was like no one else wanted to run those kinds of distances. I was always the lone wolf. Um, then went on to university and running was just kind of a consistent thing that I could do that was easy, uh, that didn't require a lot of equipment or prep or anything. Um, and ended up running my first half marathon um, in my second or third year of my undergrad. So I was actually quite young when I started running those kinds of distances. I was uh, 20 when I ran my first half. I had a I had a friend. I shouldn't say I had a friend. I still have a friend. Her name is Ashlyn. She and I, uh, we would run together a lot. And um, she, <laughs> she, she, we were quite stubborn at the age of 20 and 21. And after running a half marathon, I'll never forget this. We went to Toronto to run a half marathon because I went to school in Ottawa at that time. And um, on in the car on the way home, she looks at me and she says, you know, that half marathon was pretty easy. And we had run like a pretty half, a, a pretty fast half, like I think like a 138 at that time. I think we should try running a full. <laughs> And the next, in two weeks after that, there was a full marathon happening in our area. And we decided we were going to give it a go with no training. And I shit you not. Oh, my gosh. Can I swear on this, um, Hillary? Oh, 100%. Oh, God. Thank God. (laughs) So I shit you not. It was the absolute worst running experience of my entire life. Oh, really? Shocker. Uh, <laughs> running a road marathon uh, with no training. I had never run anything more than 21 kilometers in my life. And I finished a marathon in four hours and two minutes, which is actually pretty good. Which is hilarious because uh, that is my exact first marathon time that I also did on no training. Yeah. But you and I are, are so similar anyways. It doesn't surprise me, but that's hilarious. Yeah. Yeah. So ran that 
Um, and somewhere around the 28 kilometer mark is when I started hating my life. <laughs> and I very vividly to this day can still remember uh, running and crying so hard, <laughs> like so like like a real ugly cry um, around, you know, that 31, 32 kilometer mark and just thinking this is so ridiculous. Um, but we finished it. She, she ended up running a 341. Oh, wow. Mm-hmm. And, um, her goal going into it was to qualify for Boston <laughs> and she missed it by something like 30 seconds. Cause the Uh-oh. qualifying time was 340 at the time. Um, but regardless, that was my first marathon experience. And, um, after that, oh my goodness. After that, I moved to Vancouver um, and um, kept running, you know, road marathons and um, kept going at it, like kept going and running and running and running and running Um, and eventually uh, qualified for Boston and New York in the same year, which was pretty wild, Um, ran Boston and um, got to New York and it was right after Hurricane Sandy, so they canceled New York. And, um, well, we can kind of, maybe we can get into this one a little bit later, but I had a full running burnout at that time. Yeah, I bet. Stopped running. Um, and then I eventually discovered the trails and that was it. So there's so many things there that I was like, oh, funny, interesting. Um, yeah. First of I all. Mean, there's a lot of, there's a lot of pieces to to um to cover in all of those stories I think (laughs) totally and like the the first thing is as soon as you said like I was the only one or I really loved running I was gonna say you were our only guest that played a sport and the cross training was running and they weren't like and I fucking hated it um so you also yeah and then you said it right after but that's the consistent theme all the time because it's always used as like a punishment or some sort of negative um yeah, I mean, there's definitely there's definitely some of that. I have to say too, though, um, you know, I say I I say I loved it. Um, that being said, like I I would have to go back into my like you know eleven year old brain to know whether or not I actually did love it because I figure skated. I think that I was I also was struggling with some disordered eating happening at the time as well, mm. and. And I think that the running may have actually played a bit of a part within that disordered eating and the wanting to be skinny and the thinking that it had the most calorie burning output or potential. Um, and I don't, and I, I, ha- I haven't quite really dug into whether or not that's why I loved running or whether or not I actually loved the feeling of running. So it's, it's, there's an interesting kind of cross section of, pieces within that as well because figure skating is such an aesthetic sport did you feel pressure Um, at that young age from other people that you needed to be smaller was it just like what you internalized absolutely 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 um there i it was never explicitly said um to me but um within the figure skating world i mean and at that time you weren't judged on based on skills so now then the judging system within figure skating now um there is like a certain value associated to jumps and spins and and skills and all the various things that you do while you're on the ice but at that time it was just you got one score based on your um artistic ability and technical ability and no one would ever say it out loud um but um if you didn't and this is all in quotation marks if you didn't look great on the ice mm-hmm. uh, you were not getting great marks i can't even imagine like like you know i was a hockey player yeah. where like being yeah. big and strong is valued and i still felt that pressure so i can't imagine having like my sport of choice also just kind of hammering that in um did it ever go and you don't have to answer this if you don't want to did it ever go any farther than just feeling like you were probably focusing too much on intake and calorie output at that age um I mean yeah for sure I mean it's 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 really kind of funny actually because I've I 
I never would consider that I had disordered eating by any means, not in the sense that it ever went to the point where I was, you know, bulimic or anorexic or any of that kind of stuff. But the way that I ate was like, I mean, it was pretty fucked up, Hillary. Like I would, um, I remember bringing, like making my own lunches to go to school and I would bring a green apple. Um, and that's, that's just all I had for lunch because, well, I'm, I'm just not hungry. I'm, I'm, uh, oh, I'm not hungry. Uh, and so I would have a green apple between the times of like 8am and 3pm. And then I would go home and I would be starving obviously because you need to remember at this point in time, I'm figure skating 20 hours a week and growing. So, and growing like I'm 12. Um, so I would have an apple throughout the day and then I would come home and I would make myself like a huge batch of pasta because I was starving. And then I would gulp that down and then I would go to skating practice for two and a half to three hours. Right. Do you think anybody from the Um, outside had any, like your parents or anything or it like, I guess I want the listeners to know, like, and I think it's a a standard thing that happens to people too, who are very put together um, because you want everything to look very put together. So if it was like easy for it to get camouflaged and the fact that you were probably getting good grades and had like priorities and doing like all the things that you're supposed to do in quotations as well. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, absolutely. I was getting great marks at school. Um, I was active and happy and had lots of energy and was, you know, all of those things. Um, but in the back of my mind, um, there was a constant fear. And I mean, like a deep fear um, that I was too fat, that I was chubby, that I was big that I was, you know, not worthy or not enough or any of those things, uh, because of my body size. And, um, and, and did anyone know? Um, I mean, I, I definitely, my parents definitely knew that this was a concern and, and they, I mean, I think it was really, it was a really challenging topic to manage at that time. Um, we didn't have all of the resources that are out now um, based on, you know, intuitive eating and, and being able to eat what your body needs and, and eat properly. Um, it was all diet culture. Totally. Yeah, um, it just wasn't talked about. Totally. It was diet culture and my family bought into diet culture. So if my parents, like, you know, if both of your parents buy into diet culture, um, you know, there's a good chance that the kids will be exposed to diet culture and you'll, you know, fall into that rhythm of it, right? Yeah. So I most definitely fell into the diet culture rhythm at a pretty young age, for sure. Primarily because of figure skating, I think. Yeah. And then I think it's interesting too, like not knowing if you run because you love it or if because there was some part of you that knew it burnt calories. And I think it can probably be a combination because it's pretty hard to continue to run out of like a a fear or a necessity um, into college and do a bunch of half marathons. And like that just takes time that you have to enjoy what you're doing a little bit. But I wonder yeah. if there was any part of you when you got to that age too, that started to fear like, if I don't run, what's going to happen to my body? Oh my gosh, a million percent. I mean, I would still say that that fear Um, it's still present in my adult life. Like I still catch myself having those kinds of thoughts, like pretty frequently actually, um, in the sense of like, Ooh, if I'm only running four days a week, like, will that be enough to like, (laughs) for me to fit into all of my clothes? Um, but yeah, I mean, it's a, it's, it's really quite interesting in it. And I think to kind of circle back to what you were saying earlier, about you know, how this shift has really come in through the pandemic like um it's um well and we can kind of touch back on that a little bit later too but um it's only really in this time that I've been I've taken the time to really dig into the how running and eating kind of intersect for me and body image and all of those kinds of pieces but yeah that fear was 
a million percent present for sure. Which I think is totally common. And it's funny, like, I think these thoughts, when they live in our head, they're so scary and so real. And, like, what just happened to you now, when you say it out loud, it makes you realize how ridiculous some of it is. But yeah, I mean, yeah, to to a certain extent, right? But I think, um, I think that as females, and I think that as women who, you know, millennials who grew up in within diet culture living, um, it, I think it would be very um, rare to have someone grow up in our generation and not be exposed to diet culture or not be exposed to that, the even just the prevalence of that line of thinking. Oh, totally. I think I have one guest. I have one guest who is our age who just had a baby who you could actually tell that she did not give a fuck. And it was amazing because she actually competed in bodybuilding. And I think she probably oh, just wow. got to like the end and saw so drastically the unhealthy side of cutting calories and trying to manipulate your body that she's like, this isn't worth it. Sure. Um, Absolutely. Total tangent. So I want to tie those things together because you're running a lot. You're doing these half marathons. You come to Vancouver, start training quite a bit, obviously to qualify for Boston and and New York, and then you hit your burnout. So talk to us through the physical and the mental side of that burnout. And and also mention how old you were during that time. Yes. Um, This burnout stage was you know, I think that as you grow older, you end up having different phases in your life. And for me, for whatever reason, whenever I hit a bit of a burnout phase, um, it like comes tied in with a whole bunch. It was a bit of a shit storm. So um, I was, twenty. it was in 2012. So I would have been 27. So I'm 27 at the time. Um, I... I'm in a job that I kind of hate a little bit um, because it's quite boring. So I guess I should probably like put that out there that um, I now work in education. I'm a vice principal in a high school and I love my job because it um, it lets me do different things every day. It's never boring. I was really bored in this job, which made things very difficult. Um, I um, my mental health was not great in the sense that, um, I, for the first time in my life, um, was having, you know, panic attacks and, um, and, and like anxiety, um, and, and depression. And, um, it was a very troubling time, uh, because I, I wasn't aware, um, of what, all of that was and why it was coming on and, and why I was, you know, kind of going through all this stuff. And I was running, um, a lot. I was running a lot and I was training myself. So I didn't have a coach or any of that stuff. Um, what did this burnout look like? Um, it, um, it started off with, um, having panic attacks all the time. Um, having a really elevated and a very, um, like a, what's the word that I'm kind of looking for? Like a, like in flight or flight response kind of constantly. Yeah. Like a very, very, uh, heightened nervous system. Like my, my nervous system was like awake all the time. And, um, and it was, uh, Usually, if I had ever felt like that before in my life, it was for short periods of time, one day here, one day there. And this was constant. It would never go away. Um, And I was absolutely terrified. I really was because I had no idea uh, what was going on. And um, in the past, I would have gone to yoga one day or I would have gone for a run and it just like would have cleared it. And all of a sudden, I was in a place where where I would go for a run, I would go to yoga, I would do something and nothing was shifting. Um, so I started going to therapy. Um, I started working with my counselor that I actually still work with today. She's amazing. Um, but at that time I was seeing her like twice a week just to try to get to the bottom of it. And, um, this burnout looked a lot like, um, I hated running. I hated it. Um, Um, it felt like an additional pressure that I was putting on myself. Um, but to put it into context, this started happening in December 
of 2011. Um, I was running the Boston Marathon in April of 2012. <laughs> so I still needed to train for a marathon because I was running the Boston Marathon four months later. So my entire training for the Boston Marathon was awful. I hated every minute of it. I didn't want to do it. Uh, I felt, you know, I felt shitty. I didn't want to run and I muscled through it. And there was no heart in it. I mean, there was no heart. I, I wasn't feeling um, good about, you know, kind of anything. Um, so my entire training, I was just kind of pushing through. And um, by the time I got to Boston, uh, I ran it. Um, it was not a great experience. It was the slowest marathon I've ever run. Um, and I got home after that and was just, I was just so done. I was so done. I was done with, you know, the slog of it, of getting outside and running on the road and checking my watch and looking at times. And like my mental health was not thriving. Um, so I knew I needed to start looking at making changes. And um, so I slowed down a bit and um, started doing a lot more yoga. Um, started, you know, actually listening to my body and and what I thought was eating properly. So I went full paleo for a while. <laughs> um, and slowly things kind of started to shift a little bit, but it took, it took a year, Hillary, it took a full year for me to kind of start recovering from that. And after uh, the year had gone, uh, by the end of that year, I was running maybe once a week, uh, sometimes not at all, but I was very listening to my body and only running when I felt that I wanted to. Um, and, um, and, and eventually, you know, got on top of the anxiety and the panic attacks and all of that kind of stuff and healed from all of that, um, and grew from it all and became a lot, you know, wiser and understanding of, you know, life and some of the things that, you know, had triggered me within that time. Um, but, um, yeah, it, it took a, it was a really difficult year. It was a really difficult year because running had always kind of been this anchor thing that I could, you know, rely on if I needed to get out and clear my head. And, and I, all of a sudden I wasn't able to do that anymore. And it, it felt, um, it, I felt very abandoned by running. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's fair. Do you, um, how did you figure out what to do? Um, I guess like my question comes around now, I feel like you're so in tune with, like I've noticed even after a group run on a Saturday, even before the pandemic and like more shifts and more looking into yourself, that like the group run might be 15K and it might take an hour and a half or two hours depending on where we go. And then people are going out to run more and it seems to be so easy for you to be like, nope, I've had enough. Like I'm, I'm done. That's enough. When other people like myself included kind of get sucked into like, well, if other people are running more, I should run more. Um, so I wonder yeah. if that at all comes from like having this burnout and this knowledge of like, you just have to prioritize how you're feeling and, and, and basically how you learn to do that. I don't, I don't know if that's an answerable question or not. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think that's a really great question. Um, and I think that, yes, that definitely came from that. Um, I mean that in that year I ran, uh, because I felt like I had to, uh, so many times, um, that I know that if there's a part of me that's like, I really just, uh, that I'm just done or I don't want to keep going or whatever. And I have the option not to, um, then I just, I, I don't, um, I don't because I know that, um, I, that's kind of a moment where I'm, um, you know, kind of betraying my own wants and needs. Um, I don't want to run and why would I be running while well, I'm running to try to, you know, prove to someone else that I can keep running or I'm trying to, you know, keep up with other people because I want to show that I'm enough or I'm worthy or 
whatever, or I'm, or because I want to earn a pastry, (laughs) you know? And, um, I just, there's, if I'm, if I'm going to run certain distances, it's because I'm choosing to, and it's because I want to, um, not because of other reasons. And it took me a really long time to get to that because the FOMO is real. The wanting, the wanting to be as good as, you know, I mean, come on, I run with you. I run, I, I mean, I haven't run with Katie in a long time, but you know, you, you girls are so strong, like really strong runners. And it's very, very easy to get kind of sucked into that vortex of like, I want to be that good. And if I want to be that good, that I, that this is what I need to do. Um, you know, coming from a performance standpoint. Um, but, um, yeah, but I, I'm, I've recognized that saying yes to myself, um, before saying yes to others, um, is what has managed to keep me sane, um, and has managed to keep me loving coming back to running over and over. So if I can kind of like circle back to that burnout piece, like after I burnt out, um, I started going for walks in the forest and, um, it was just like Pacific spirit park is where I would go, um, really kind of flat, but I would just walk and, um, eventually kind of started, you know, jogging in the forest a little bit here and there. And that's when I started trail running. Oh, that's so, so cool. it was kind of beautiful. Did anybody tell you to go there or was this just like you were just drawn to walking in the forest? No. Well, um, so one thing that a lot of people in my life know is that when I become stressed, I become a bit of a hypochondriac. And so I know you and I have probably talked about this before, but um, basically if I'm stressed, like I have, I'm dying, like I'm sick for sure. Uh, The number of times that I've gotten COVID-19 in the last year (laughs) is I, I, there's a record for sure. I've actually officially never gotten it, but the number of times that I've convinced myself that I have it is, uh, it's something else. Um, but, um, I, so I was working with a naturopath and, um, she had suggested, you know, just get out in nature and just go for walks, get out in the mountains and, you know, do those kinds of things. And so I just incorporated nature into, um, you know, my, need for well-being and to feel better and um and that's kind of that's where I fell in love with it and the beauty of it is um once I started running in the trails like my love for running um started to return and it was amazing and I loved it and I was just so happy so excited to like be out and run and not checking splits and not checking times and not doing any of those things, but having such a deep feeling of accomplishment, um, out in the trails. So that's where my trail running story begins. So that's burnout. Yeah. And that's not even that long ago then, right? Because that's five or six years. Um, Well, 2013 or 2013, 2014. So yeah, yeah. Six, seven years. And then to run like mm-hmm. Squamish 50-50 and Wham 110, like um, mm-hmm. that is so far to come from feeling burnt out. And I think that's probably like a testament to all those things you were just saying about how like in the forest you can just put your watch away. Um, but I do know that when you were training for Squamish 50-50 is like when we were running a lot together and that you had it pretty dialed yeah. in on like calculated on what you needed to do to run that safely. So yeah. was there like a way that you learned those things and how to build your own program that you knew would be like safe so that you wouldn't burn out from this newfound like love for trail running, but still were prepared. Cause I think people find that balance difficult because you have to put in so many hours to be able to run some of these goal races that we have. So how do you do that yeah. without burning out basically? Yeah, absolutely. So, um, I mean, this also kind of ties into the previous part of our conversation around, you know, body image and all of that kind of stuff. But, Uh, So when I was in university and I had run this half marathon and then this full marathon, I was actually a personal trainer at the time, which I know, which is kind of interesting because, you know, if you'd ask any personal trainer today, whether or not you should run a full marathon on no training, they would be like, absolutely not. Uh, But, you know, I decided that was a good choice. So I, I, I actually have a science degree in human kinetics. So, um, I, 
you know, understand the principles of training quite well. And I was a personal trainer for many years, um, probably five or six years um, throughout um, this kind of story and history. And so um, I understood how to make training plans. Um, that being said, um, training plans, you, you have to go with something that really works for you. So there's a lot of coaches out there who, um, work on volume training as, you know, as the key component to training. And I know that super, super high volume just doesn't work for me. It burns me out. It makes me really really tired. Um, I get sick of running because I feel like I can't do anything else. Like it takes a lot of the, um, variety away from me. And so I know when I'm, you know, kind of putting together these plans for myself, I keep these things in mind, knowing that, um, I want to build something that I know that I'm going to have, be able to stick to. And that's going to provide me with, you know, the amount of balance that I require. Um, so when I, and and actually kind of a bit of a side note to Squamish 50-50, um, I mean, I think throughout my life, until we get to this kind of pandemic story, my running life is a bit of a roller coaster in the sense that I would run a lot for long periods of time, and then I would not run a lot for you know, a, a period of time to kind of recover from all of that running. And then I would throw myself back into it. And then I would kind of retreat. And then I would throw myself back into it and then retreat. And usually this would be like around the cycle of races, right? Like you have a big race coming up. So you put in a shit ton of time, get lots of running in. Um, and then the race happens and then you, you know, recover for, you know, however many weeks you need. And then you kind of rebuild a little bit of the base and then you put in a shit ton of time. So it was a lot of, you know, up and down. And, um, I hit, a, I hit a bit of a down bit, um, coming up to that 50, 50. And, um, I remember, uh, going to the Sunshine Coast and doing a short race there with girlfriends and, um, being in the car on the way home. And I was talking to, uh, it was Kate. Pargol and Katie, I think, and myself in the car. There's four of us. And um, Pargol had completed the 50-50 before. And I, I feel as though Kate had signed up to do 50-50 that summer. So she and I were, would be training together. And I remember being in full honesty saying to the girls, I need us to talk about 50-50 because I have some serious doubts that I can complete this kind of distance. And they said, um, and we kind of talked it out and, um, eventually by the end of it, and I'll never forget Katie, uh, Mills asked the question. She said, well, why did you choose it in the first place? And if I'm being perfectly honest, uh, I chose it because it sounds pretty badass uh, to do two days of running back to back like that, 50 miles and then 50 K. And, um, you know, I wanted a big challenge at that time in my life. I wanted to prove to myself that I was still capable of doing, you know, quote, unquote, big things. So Kate sent me, um, she had access to a training plan that she had used in the past for like a 50-50. And she sent it over to me by email so that I could look at it. Um, I looked at those parameters. They were super high volume. So I was like, absolutely not. That's not going to work for me. Um, but used those kind of peaks and valleys of the training for my own training, um, and put some, put a few things together that I knew would work for me. Um, and the way that I always look at it is in your peak weeks, you want to be running the same number of hours, uh, that you plan on racing. So for example, if I am, um, so 50, 50, I finished in just under 20 hours. So in my peak weeks of training, I was on my feet for 20 or more hours uh, for a few weeks on end um, with some days in there that were, you know, eight or nine hours at a time. Um, and I knew that this kind of balance would work for me. Um, I mean, I have to say that I'm pretty privileged in the sense that I have my summers off. So I'm pretty, um, I have lots of time to do that kind of training, which is great. I would not suggest doing 20 hours of running on a full work week in addition, but, um, but 
that's how I, I put it together and I stuck to it. And, and throughout I gave myself, you know, some segment challenges on days where I wanted a little bit of a kick. Um, where I think you and I did this one together, actually, Hillary, where we ran up um, Espresso, which is a trail on the North Shore. And I said, okay, the only thing that I have in my training plan today is that I want to get a, a personal best on this segment. And so we ran up that Espresso trail as hard as we could. Um, it was awful. I yeah, I remember, remember that, remember that really well. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. So um, I, I try to listen to my body and... Um, in the last year, I've started working with Kat Drew, um, and she's amazing. I love working with her. Um, she has taught me so much about running um, without even really meaning to, I think, and and that's kind of all part of that pandemic running conversation as well. But she has taught me, um, you know, how to use running with my body. Um, you know, I think I was already kind of listening to my body a bit, but she has um, amplified that even more, which has been really quite nice. But I think, yeah, I think the principles of, of training in the sense that you don't increase by more than 10% a week are, uh, light or game changers. You have to take that into consideration when you're putting together your plans, Yeah, take into consideration where you're at, uh, when you start, um, and don't, you know, increase too quickly or, um, provide yourself with lots of time to rest rest is your friend um and uh yeah just be in tune with be in tune with with what your body is telling you at all times right and let's get, um, that's uh, definitely those are things i've learned sorry go ahead oh i was just gonna say let's get a bit into the like how things have changed for the pandemic because like for yeah. a timeline for our listeners too like you learned so much and going into wham 110 i think you built your own program for that right yes i did yeah yeah, yeah. and i always I've never worked with a coach until this past year. I always just built all of my own programs. Yeah. And like you accomplished both of those races so well and finished both of them feeling so strong. Like I remember Katie told me that you said after yeah. 110, like I should do hundred miles cause I could have kept going. Um, yes. Oh, little guys up. So you'll hear some noises in the background. Sorry. Oh, hi Baker. <laughs> <laughs> he says some sort of gibberish back. I'm sure. Um, but I think you, and you just mentioned it too. Like you used to do these like, um, huge amounts of running and then kind of pull back a lot and then huge amounts of running and then yeah. pull back a lot. And like you said, you've just learned so much from Kat and seem to be running more consistently, but perhaps less per week during the pandemic. And you just PB'd your half marathon and you ran um, a super fast 42 minute 10K, which is like a dream time for so many people a few months ago. So um, the system really seems to be working for you. So yeah, let's get into that, um, that mindset change through the pandemic and how it started and everything. Yeah. Well, I mean, it started with like thinking the whole world was like going to crumble and fall apart as I think it was for a lot of people. Um, you know, March of, so, uh, coming into the pandemic, um, just to kind of put it all into perspective. So I ran Wham 110 in September of 2019 um, so that was like a huge building block leading up to that, um, finished Wham rather like in, uh, like very successfully. I was really proud of, um, my effort in that race, um, and, um, the way that it was executed. Um, I was really happy with, you know, completing my first hundred K race, which was pretty cool. Um, and, um, kept running. Like I, I was still running and I was running pretty strong, uh, feeling pretty good. Um, and, um, signed up for cascade 100. So cascade, the cascade sign up was what January probably Hill. I don't know around that time. Yeah. It was January. And then we found out like two weeks before the world exploded that we made it in. Right. Okay. So, and then around that same time, I, for the hell of it, just put my name in to do Knacker as well in 2020. So, uh, in January and this, so I found out, I, I put my name in to do Knacker whenever the lottery was January, I think. And I also put my name in to do, um, Cascade thinking that I would probably only get chosen for one of them secretly hoping that I would not get chosen for both. Um, and, um, 
of course, the universe, I get into both. (laughs) So for 2020, I had two big races lined up. I had Cascade, 100 miler, um, and Neenacker, 50K. Um, Neenacker would have been in July um, and um, Cascade in August, which would have been perfect. Like within the, the training progression, it would have been, they would have fit really well within that schedule. And then March happened um, and everything shut down. Every race was canceled. Everything in the world was put on hold. Um, And um, I mean, it was hard. It was scary. It was hard. It was, um, there were so many unknowns. Yeah. There, you know, I can, I could kind of come back into that time. And I was petrified. Um, I just, I, I did not cope well for a short, for, you know, a good four or five weeks within that time. I did not cope well, which I think was not unusual for a lot of people. And um, running, and, and I, I kind of lost my reason to run in a way, because all of a sudden these races were off my calendar. And, um, I was like, well, but like I run to do these races now. Like that's why I run. Uh, And then, of course, you know what question gets into my head. Well, but if I don't run, I'm going to get really fat. So I better, I need to, I need to do something. I need to run. Uh, So I would run, but with no purpose. And I just, I I just couldn't, I couldn't get motivated. I, I really struggled for a few weeks. And, um, in comes Kat. So Kat Drew, um, she is, I mean, she's an incredibly talented runner. Uh, she has run Western States, finished top 10 of Western States. Uh, she is, you know, runs really fast on the road as well. Um, but on top of being a, a, a very accomplished runner, she's also just an amazing human being. So um, so I started, I reached out to her and uh, we started working together. And in the beginning, um, I was still very um, race and goal oriented in the sense that um, I was like, let's do van 100. So van 100 is basically running a hundred kilometers across the North shore, um, you know, in June of every year. So, you know, at first I was like, that's what I want to do. So she put together a training plan for that. And what I started noticing is that um, I was, you know, running very consistent every week. So I was running five days a week, every week, um, running anywhere between 50K and 50 miles within that time because I was, you know, kind of training to do a little bit more and um, got to Van 100 week. And um, as a vice principal of a high school that's in the middle of a global pandemic, um, turns out you can't run a hundred kilometers within the course of a week if you want, if you have to. Um, my work schedule got out of whack that that week where I needed to run 100k, and um, I just I couldn't justify leaving work to go for a four or five hour run. I just, I had too much work to do and too many things to organize and, you know, too many other responsibilities, I guess. Um, and so I just had to drop that race or that event and I felt okay about it. Um, the FOMO didn't get to me. Um, I was, you know, kind of thinking like, you know, it, it is what it is, but I still had Cascade on kind of my radar. And then they canceled Cascade. So I had a summer of, you know, adventuring when I wanted to adventure and, um, you know, taking it pretty easy. Um, the other thing that was amazing, that has been amazing with the work that I'm uh, doing with Kat is that she has... Um, we keep in mind my cycle within my training. And I don't know, have you read the book, um, Roar Hill? 
I have, yeah. Tori and I talk about it quite a bit. I think you actually recommended it to me. You did, yes. Oh, did I? Yeah. Yeah, it's such a, I mean, that book really opened up my perspective on training within the female cycle, right? It's so, it's so important to like kind of put those two things together if you can. But um, so Kat did that for me in the sense that um, on my, you know, in the five days prior to my period and or like the first couple days of my period, my training is totally dialed back in the sense that um, I'm still hitting most of my, I'm, I'm still like hitting kind of similar uh, distance targets, like within 10%. Um, but from an intensity standpoint, it's like way down. Um, and um, those other three weeks is when I um, had a little bit more intensity built in. And that has been a game changer, actually, because I no longer, the, on those days where I'm really low energy, um, or I just, I my motivation is low or or whatever, I'm not muscling through it anymore. I'm actually listening to my body and saying, okay, cool. Like I'm, I, today's not my day and I don't feel like running today and I'm not going to run today. And Kat's uh, reply to that is always, thank you so much for listening to your body. I'm so happy that you did that. I'm glad you didn't muscle through that because that would have been awful. Um, and having that kind of positive reinforcement for me has been a total game changer, giving myself permission to not run on days where I really don't feel like running because then the days where I, where I don't feel that way, uh, I'm fresh. I feel great. And I have a really good run, uh, because I didn't force it. Um, and it has improved my running significantly. Um, I'm running stronger now than I have, um, ever in my whole life actually um I'm beating times um like my half marathon time that I just did over the weekend um I think the last time I ran a half marathon at that speed I was you know either 29 or 30 um and I'm 35 now and running stronger than ever so it's um it's been a game changer to have to give myself the permission to listen and to sync with my the rhythm of my body and running um and also just bringing in that consistency. I think that uh, not having races has enabled me to run consistently every week rather than ha than being on that roller coaster of like super highs and super lows. Um, and um, it has kind of weaved in this amazing little rhythm of um, day in, day out of heading out, going for 10K uh, clearing my head and coming home, um, rather than this slog of like, I have to run this much because my training plan and this race and all of this other thing. So, <laughs> I mean, you know it, right. You know that feeling. Um, and it's just been, um, it's been really quite nice. Yeah. It's been really good. Yeah. And I think there's a noticeable difference too in, in your running from the outside and then just like the enjoyment you seem to get from it. Um, and I think like everything you just said is such an important message. And I feel like every single person, not every single person that's generalizing, but like 80% of our listeners are probably had that exact same conversation in their head. So it was such a year to come with like, they always talk about your why, like why you run and trying to figure that out yeah. without races. Totally. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, I would say that my why I run which really ties back into what we've been talking about almost this entire time. There were two, I think the why I run at the beginning of the pandemic had two things. One, to prove to myself and the outside world that I can do hard things and I can do big things and I can perform. That was why I run one. And why I run number two was, well, because if I don't run, I'm going to be fat. So those were the two why I runs um, at the beginning of the pandemic. If you were to ask me now why I run, well, I run because it helps me clear my head. Um, I run because I feel great when I run and I, I really enjoy having that mobility and that freedom and um, to be able to push my, it feels good to push my body. Um, and I run because I like being fit. Like I, I like it. It's something that I want to have in my life and it makes me feel fit and healthy and I like that and having and and having that shift in perspective 
in the last year um, has just has been a game changer. It's been a game changer for sure. Yeah. And it's, um, I just totally just lost my train of thought there. That's okay. Oh, yeah. it's, it's uh, funny how like running to be fit, like, yeah. and you, the words you used was like being strong and being healthy as opposed to running to be fit in the sense that like, you don't want to be fat and fit is the opposite of that. And yeah. how much stronger and healthier you actually are running yeah. maybe a little bit less, but with purpose totally. and like the mental side. Totally. A hundred percent. And I, I mean, I, it, this is not, I, I don't want to downplay this because, um, you know, going from the initial perspective of like, uh, running because I don't want to be fat to running because I like being fit and healthy, that, that evolution did not happen overnight, obviously. Um, there was a lot of, I had to do a lot of digging to get to that and to, uh, recognize that that's actually what I was doing and that, that those were my patterns and then that part of this was the reason why I did it. And in fact, I, I, you know, I had a bit of time when I went through that where I, um, I was a little, you know, freaked out that I would maybe stop running because I didn't love it. And the reason that I was running is because I didn't want to be fat. Um, but, uh, on the flip side of that, it's, um, I, you know, I eventually did come to the realization that no, actually, I do really do enjoy running, um, and that it's been a, and it's a very positive thing for me for sure. But um, for any listeners who may have similar train of trains of thought, um, it, it's not like this was just a a switch that I was able to flip overnight. It took a lot of digging to kind of get to that and to change that narrative and to um, flip that perspective perspective for sure. Yeah, and it's funny because nothing you're saying is, I think, things that we didn't maybe know on the outside, but until you actually experience yeah. them, you can't really internalize and make those changes, right? Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. And and it's very intentional. Like, making these shifts in your thinking are very – it's very intentional for sure. So, moving forward with this kind of, like, newfound mm-hmm. knowledge, when races do return, um, do you – have any big goals or are you cautious about putting those down right now? Or how does that look for you? Yeah, I, that's a really great question. I don't, I don't know. I don't know. Um, I'm actually really enjoying the fact that there are no races because I just don't have to answer that question just yet. Um, but, um, I, I don't know. Um, I, at this time in my life, I can't imagine wanting to run a hundred miles. Um, that wouldn't feel nice in my body at this point in time. Um, will I get back to that eventually? I don't know, maybe, but right now I'm really enjoying kind of challenging myself and, um, you know, trying to beat old personal records of my own self and, and feeling stronger in that way. Um, I, um, I'm taking the summer to play tennis and to <laughs> go, go on adventures and hike and, you know, run casually in the trails, um, and not train for anything, which will be really quite nice. But, you know, in the fall and next winter, when races do return, I don't know what that's going to look like just yet. I think that'll be kind of like part three of this pandemic evolution. We'll see. Yeah. And Let's think, see if the FOMO return. I was going to say, I think it'll be an important time to like <laughs> talk to each other, talk to your running friends and be like, do I need to do a race because everybody else is doing a race or am I, can I still yeah, be a totally. runner if I'm not? And just, we can all support yeah. each other. Or like, that. can we still be friends even if I'm not training for this? You know, <laughs> like there's, there's, there's part of that too, for sure. Hill. Totally. Like, you know, when you run with people, like sometimes you're like, well, shit, if I'm not training for anything, then like, you know, will I still be able to run with all my girlfriends? Like, yeah, duh, of course you're going to be able to. However, like those trains of thought, they, they're all connected. All these, like the, that belonging piece is connected in there too, right? Like, do I still belong in the trail running community if I'm not training for a hundred miler? Like, yeah, fuck off. Like, yeah, you do just go and run with your friends. But, um, it's easier said than done. Totally. Totally. 
so many things there. Like, I almost feel like in the fall, we should do a part two of this and see how things have evolved after summer. Yeah, let's do it. I love that. That sounds great. To see if changed, if anything has evolved over summer. And if it hasn't, then we can just talk about the adventures that we've gone on. Yes, done. Deal. Um, <laughs> okay, well, this has been awesome. And thank you for joining me early. I know you get the day off, so you're going to go skiing. Where are you going skiing? Yeah, I'm heading up to Cyprus. Oh, nice. Today, it's a beautiful sunny day. I'm pretty, I'm really looking forward to it. It's nice. And, and also probably have, one of the last days in the season, so. Totally. And it's going to be beautiful and I have to work. So Andy is going touring with Katie. Great. Oh, what? <laughs> yeah. Where are they going today? They're going Cyprus as well, but they're going to go up Christmas Gully and like around back. Sweet. That yeah. sounds awesome. I know. So everybody can enjoy the sunshine and I will stay home behind a computer screen. Wow. Okay. <laughs> Last question that I ask everybody. If you yes. could describe running in three words, what would they be? Three words. Um, invigorating. Oh, good one. Um, oh, fuck. Come on. Invigorating. <laughs> Uh, addictive. <laughs> yeah, totally. And um, invigorating, addictive, and persistent. Yeah, those no, are really I good. I mean, I don't think persistent is a very good one. But I think I know what you mean I, by that. Definitely. Definitely invigorating, definitely at times a bit addictive, definitely at times a bit of a Band-Aid to cover other things. Oh, yeah. So we're going to go with, we're going to go with Band-Aid. <laughs> Those are awesome and very unique, which is amazing, This given this many interviews in. Well, thank you so much again for taking the time um, and I will send you, oh, there's my email dinging away. I'll send you all the links when this is live and I can't wait to share it with everyone. Yeah, great. I hope um, it was insightful and that people get something out of it and um, that people enjoy it. I'm sure they will. Thank you. Uh, thanks so much, Jill. This was such a nice chat.